This is Olivia Berkman and welcome to Balance Sheet. As Generation Z begins to join the workforce, millennials, Generation X, and baby boomers are learning just how trusting the youngest generation is when it comes to robots. In fact, according to a recent global study from Oracle, a whopping 91% of Gen Z employees say they'd trust a robot over a human to manage their organization's finances. In this episode, I spoke with the incredibly dynamic Kimberly Ellison Taylor. Kimberly is the CEO of the consulting firm KET Solutions and the first black chairman of the AICPA. She's a sought after keynote speaker and was named one of Accounting Today's top 100 most influential people in accounting and CPA practice advisors 25 most powerful women in accounting. None of that will surprise you when you hear her passion. We talked about the power of storytelling the pressure finance professionals are under today, and the connection between increasing diversity and technology. Enjoy the conversation. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. Olivia, thank you so much for having me. Can you start out with background on you and your journey to your current role, what you're doing today? I know you wear many hats. That is a great question, Olivia, because sometimes I look at the things that I get to do and I pinch myself because I'm so excited about it. So I am living in and life. And so a lot of times people hear me talk about live and not or. And that means that I'm really excited to get to work with my colleagues still talking about transformation, talking about inclusive leadership, strategy, and business growth. And at the same time, I'm really excited to be a volunteer leader in the finance and accounting profession, where many of my colleagues know that I'm really serious about making sure we uphold the public interest and also at the same time ensuring that we're working on behalf of the public, our members, and also the business community. But more interesting people might find is that in living and I am a certified public accountant, but I also have a technology background. And so those two things together, I think, give me a great perspective on the work environment and also the business world in general. And so I've worked in public sector, I've worked in telecom, I've worked in you know, the federal government of public sector and also the local government. I worked for, let's say KPMG, doing professional services, working in both audit and also advisory services. Uh, I was a CIO. And, and so it's just been so many different areas where my interests and my passions have taken me. And so I'm really excited to stand at that intersection and also having worked at Oracle for almost 17 years. And, and so that was a huge highlight of my career, especially now that set the stage for the end career that I have today. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm sure you're a mentor to many people. And do you recommend that they, especially in the, if they're in the finance track, do you recommend that they incorporate that technology knowledge into what they're doing? I mean, obviously it served you. Yes, I think that in the today's world, especially in this terrible, uncertain time of pandemic, we absolutely need to skate to where the puck is going to be. And the real game changer is technology. And so for all of my mentees and my colleagues as well, 
I talk about leveraging AI and machine learning and blockchain and Internet of Things and big data, we have to be paying attention. I know we went to school to do finance and accounting. I know that's what we get excited about. But I think it's non-negotiable, Olivia. In today's environment, it is non-negotiable and it is not a vertical skill set. It is horizontal. And I can't think of a function or role that would not need some technology acumen. I totally agree. What prompted this conversation is a study that Oracle put out, and it revealed that almost 91% of Gen Z employees trust robots to manage their organization's finances. So tell me a little bit about why you believe that that generation is more comfortable trusting robots than maybe previous generations. Is it because just the simple fact that we, you know, Gen Z, we, I'm not a Gen Z. I'm... (laughs) I'm pretending that I'm a Gen Z, Um, that Gen Z grew up with smartphones and tablets is, I mean, is that part of it that they just feel it's, it's no big deal to them? I think that's one of the reasons for sure. And that's probably the primary reason their comfort level is next level when it comes to technology and for things that give us pause, they are like, duh. So I I do think that that is one answer. I think the other answer is that they are fully aware of the vast amounts of data out there. And because they are so aware, because they are so comfortable with technology, they know that a human could not possibly harness all of that data to come to some key insights. They know what we probably don't know. And because they are fully aware and know that they need the technology to help us do any kind of, you know, huge recommendations, looking at how we make strategic decisions. And very importantly for that Oracle study is how we manage our money and the tools they need to help them manage their organization's money. You've touched on this a little bit, the awareness of the vast amount of data, and that sounds overwhelming. So tell me about the mental health stress connection here. I think it's very well related, and especially when you take into the AI at work study that Oracle released based on their survey of over 12,000 people at the end of 2020. And it really just says that in today's environment, leveraging technology, it can be stressful. But at the same time, many people, many more people found it comforting to know that they were actually going to get help. And so you had this, I think, this this dissonance between some people who find it comforting to have technology available, but then you also have people who find it overwhelming because it's hard to keep track of all the things that you don't know. I personally think the right answer is organizations need the tools and the resources to enable their teams to do the best job possible. And so if we're talking about operational excellence, we're talking about doing planning and budgeting and forecasting Who wants to do that on spreadsheets and who wants to do that? And I should say spreadsheets only. And who wants to do that in an environment where a mistake could be catastrophic? And so I can only imagine for your own stress and mental health and well-being, you definitely, even as you might get stressed over, Kimberly, what is AI? What is, you know, RPA? What is IoT? That 
that's stressful, but not nearly, Olivia, as stressful as it would be to try to do those key financial functions without any technology at all. And that study done by Oracle was more of an HR-oriented study, but I think it certainly is related to the stress we saw in the money and machine survey. So I think it's very well aligned. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch on something that I know is very near and dear to you, and that's diversity. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if the tech skills that you have, do you feel like those, I don't want to call them extra skills, but do you feel that those skills gave you an edge as a woman in finance? Absolutely, Olivia. Spot on. I think that technology is a differentiator. And it's been a differentiator for my career. And so depending on who I'm speaking with, they think that the other one is the plus one. So I'm speaking to finance colleagues. They'll think technology is the plus one. If I'm talking to technology colleagues, they think finance is the plus one. Because if you're going to do it, you have to have your foot on both sides. You have to stay current and you have to keep aware of, of what's going on in the marketplace. But if you're looking for a way to add value, to the organization. You want to be strategic. You want to think about what customers, clients, and business partners are looking for. Technology enables disruption. And so having that that innovative, hopefully digital mindset gives you a leg up on anyone you would be competing with for a position. And so my guidance is, Yes, let's always make sure that we're up to speed on our finance, but let's also make sure that we're adding value to the business growth year over year, double digit growth, ideally for the organization. So you're a CPA and do you remember the moment or the stage in your life career where you realized I really need to tap into the tech side of things? I do. I thought you were going to ask me, Olivia, because I guess every CPA that I know knows our war story on when we passed the exam. Let me Uh just say (laughs) that's so random. But I will tell you, any CPA and I know, you know, quite a few of them can tell you. Well, let me tell you where I was. But back to your question. So what is uh, I think very interesting is that I wanted to be a CPA in the third grade. Someone came to my elementary school and talked about all the careers, which is why I always beg our colleagues, please go back to your school and talk about how amazing our profession is, because otherwise it's what people see and what the little kids see are basically NFL, NBA. Well, we're superheroes too, superheroes in the business community. When people are running away from businesses not doing well, or businesses that are behind on their tax strategy. Our colleagues, our finance executives run in. So I think we're superheroes of a sort. And we were certainly essential during the pandemic. But to answer your question, when I went to school, and I always cringe when I say this, Olivia, because I don't want to offend my econ colleagues, but I didn't want to major in economics. Mm -hmm. So I majored in information systems, right? Just Olivia, on a whim, on a whim, I majored in information systems. And I will tell you that that decision was one of the best decisions I have ever, ever made. I had to go back to community college to basically study for the classes I needed to take the CPA exam. So for me, I think I really realized that there was something to this technology thing 
probably right after I passed the CP exam. And I realized, wow, I've got two areas. Woohoo! You, it sounds like you dive very deep into the things that you are passionate about. Have you always been like that? Are you like that with other things or is it a real kind of strictly career thing? I'm like that about everything. And I say that, Olivia, because when you're a CPA and you're working in finance and accounting, you know the stakes are high. You cannot hold yourself out to be something beyond your skill set. And so I have a master in science and IT from Carnegie Mellon. I have a CIO certificate from Carnegie Mellon. I was the chairman of the American Institute of CPAs. So that is just just a high level indication of my commitment. I'm all in on being a CPA and being a finance leader. I'm all in on being in the technology world. I teach emerging technology and innovation for Carnegie Mellon's Heinz School CIO program. So if you're gonna be in, you gotta go in on the deep end. You gotta be all in. And I have to know, like, how do you recharge? Do you recharge? Like, do you do you meditate? What do you, you exercise? Like, what is it that you do? How do you reset, recharge, take care of yourself? Yes, that all of those things are very important. First of all, I'm in my purpose. Mm-hmm. If you're in your purpose, you don't consider it work. Right. When I get up in the morning, I'm interested about the business community. I'm interested about what we're doing in the regulatory space. I want businesses to thrive and grow. I want them to leverage technology to the fullest extent. I understood the value of technology in this pandemic in particular, that people were able to, if they were in the cloud, they were able to work and almost very quickly without even any downtime, get up to speed. I want that for all of our businesses because I want us to be you know, competitive globally as well. And in the accounting space and finance together, I think we have an opportunity. So we still have more to do. And because I see that, it, it gives me energy. So I have a lot of energy around it. My colleagues will say, well, Kimberly, you're the same at seven in the morning as you are at 10 at night. And I said, well, actually, I'm better at night. So I'm a night owl. And so I'm like, you're seeing me at seven in the morning. I'm not my best. I'm at my best at seven in the evening, but it's not work. And I like to read. Now, what do I do to recharge? I just discovered not that long ago, Netflix. Um, Maybe I'm (laughs) the last one who didn't know it was there, but in the pandemic, I really discovered Netflix. I have, like, I'm watching the 4400 over again. So I'm like, oh, this is good. It's in the background. I'm doing work at night. I'm watching the 4400. I'm seeing what I didn't see the first time. And so that helps. And because I genuinely enjoy people, it's not work. Now, in our space, some of our finance colleagues might not enjoy people as much as I do. Some of them really do, but some of them are like, whoo, you are exhausting. (laughs) I get that a lot too. (laughs) Yeah, they wouldn't say, well, it's because they are really into the numbers. I'm really people. Yeah. And there are people in technology, there are people on the, you know, the finance side, and that whole Money and Machines article dealing with millennials and Gen Z, that was up my alley because I am the incoming president elect for Beta Alpha Psi. 
which, and it starts in August, so I'm really excited, but it is a honor society for students who are in accounting, finance, marketing, and technology and analytics. And so anything with next generation of leaders right up my alley. So of course I see that they're concerned and not sleeping at night because of their money or managing the organization's budget. It it did give me pause. And and I just thought if these organizations don't take it seriously, they're gonna miss out on an opportunity because everyone's looking for talent. And those leaders who filled out the survey who said, listen, I'm concerned, I'm not sleeping at night, thinking about my organization's money or if I am managing their money, I'm concerned. I think they're gonna start using that as kind of their barometer on who they want to go and work for. And they're not gonna come and work for a company that's not at least trying to pursue operational excellence. Mm -hmm. So we are talking about the next generation of finance leaders. And I'd love to hear some of the specific skills and competencies needed for a successful career in finance today. Obviously, you know, we've spoken pretty broadly about technology, but what are some of the skills that are going to make the Gen Z and younger end of the millennial finance folks successful? It is so interesting that you say that because as we've spent with the year of the R, I would say, the reflection, the reimagine, the reinvention of ourselves, Mm. I think we've had some time to think about what skill sets do we really need. And at the top of the list, now it varies, but I would say whether it's one, two or three, it's definitely got to be digital trends, knowledge and knowledge of technology. We've seen so much disruption happen. We've seen e-commerce occur. We've seen work get done remotely. And so having some technology acumen is gonna be key and important. And it's not a standstill, Olivia, it's ongoing. There's always something else. So we're always gonna have to keep evolving our skill set. I think the other thing I would say would be adaptability because we didn't expect this pandemic. But now I'm already up there with heightened expectations that something else will come and your ability to adapt and be resilient and to be flexible, I think is going to be key. We can't be locked in any boxes. We've got to be open and willing to look to see what our customers and clients want. I think it's storytelling Mm. as we use more and more technology. But the technology isn't the one that's going to go into that board meeting. The technology isn't the one that's going to go talk to the CFO, the CEO, or any of the C-suite leaders and the business unit leaders. We need to know what should we do. Tell us what did the data tell you when you looked at it and what recommendations. I need the pros and the cons and some what-if scenarios. Give me a little more life around this data than the numbers alone. I don't want just to know what the bottom line is. I want to know how I got there and then tell me some things that I need to know or take into consideration. And then I would also say leadership. Leadership is going to be very, very key. We are across the entire finance and accounting profession talking about upskilling. Some of our colleagues are going to come, Olivia, kicking and screaming. So we need to talk them into it. We need them to understand the value proposition of why it is so important to get on this technology train and why they should be trying to get up to speed as fast as they can 
on their technical business people leadership skills. And that means that we're going to have to be more inclusive. And to the point, I think one of the questions you were asking about with diversity, we can't have stereotypes on what types of people we need. We need skill sets and acumen, and that will be across the board. And I think there's every, every indication that we have some opportunity to look for people that we may not have considered previously. But now in today's environment, we're going to need people wearing different hats. And I'm looking, I'm so excited about that. The different diversity of thought segments that we can now bring to the table. Tell me a little bit more about that. I'm glad you brought it up. Tell me specifically the, t- the connection between technology and how it's impacting the diversity of the talent pool of the future. Like what's the tie there? Okay, so this is how I think of it. Think about the worst traffic jam you can ever imagine. So think about that in your head. You probably were in one pre-pandemic. Now think about the high occupancy vehicle lane. Mm-hmm. And you sat in traffic, bumper to bumper, and as you're sitting there, you're like, who are those people? And how are they just speeding by mm-hmm. while I'm sitting here in probably two hours worth of traffic? I think technology is the HOV lane. And I think technology will enable diverse talent who typically, for whatever reason, would be at the back of that traffic jam. But technology is such a differentiator when we're looking for people who can tell us about big data. We're looking for people who have skill sets in AI, Mm -hmm. can help us streamline our business processes. I believe it's a way to differentiate and to be noticed and recognized for the contributions that we make. Now, as you well know, Olivia, with great power comes great responsibility. And so technology can be used for not so good reasons. And we have to be really diligent about making sure we have as, I would say, pervasive a skill set or pervasive a data set that will help us ensure we're not just going down this path of human programming and programming our biases into the technology. But I think we have some opportunity there. Mm -hmm. And I think it also expands some of the thinking that we've been locked in a box for. And that will enable, I think, more people. And that rising tide lifts all ships will include diverse talent. I love that metaphor. That's great. I'm going to use that in the future. Something that you touched on earlier when we were talking about skills that I wanted to come back to is storytelling. So that does feel like a really important skill for finance and tech folks, and also seems like a difficult one to develop. So for someone listening to this, who is in finance, is in tech, and doesn't feel like maybe they know what that means, what storytelling really means, what it looks like, and they don't know how to develop that or they want to hone that skill. What advice would you have for them? Because I believe that you are an excellent storyteller. And so I want to know if that, did that just come naturally to you? What advice would you have for somebody kind of struggling in that area? Thank you so much for that compliment. I think I've learned it over time myself because someone coming to you to say, Olivia, our targets, you know, our target market isn't doing as well. And basically we're looking at numbers. One is in green, let's just say for ease and one is in red. 
okay, you can't hand that over. When you are talking with your C-suite executives, as many of our listeners would know, we have to then say, okay, so what? Now what? And that's what I think in my head whenever I'm speaking to, you know, one of the leaders that I reported into today. What does this number, what do these numbers tell me? What is it that I need to know? What insights? Did something happen? What happened? And does it happen on a cyclical basis in this particular part of the geography for this business unit? Was it a breakdown in the supply chain? Was it customers that found alternative methods? Was it a new competitor in the environment? What happened that made us not meet our forecasted objectives? What happened? And so that's why I think, so what, now what? Because now the now what is based on your analysis, this is what you believe the going forward path is. And we need to be able to tell that story because that's what people will remember. I don't know if you even need to pull out a PowerPoint. I went through one part of my career and I was at Oracle at the time where we we basically said, we're going into meetings and we're not taking PowerPoints. Huh. We're going in, we're gonna have the executive discussion. They weren't, because if you take a PowerPoint in Olivia, they were flipping to the back of it anyway. You're sitting there, they're flipping to the back of the PowerPoint. And so we went through the no PowerPoints. You gotta know your material enough to have the conversation or two, to be able to whiteboard it when you went to the next two levels down, because people who were two levels down in the organization want more details. So when you're standing up and talking about it, you've got to be able to whiteboard it out so that they understand that you know what you're talking about and then you get credibility. But I would definitely say we've got to get in touch with our public speaking skills. And if you are someone who's shy, this is going to be a little harder for you but I don't think that you can avoid it because if machines are going to do all of the quantifiable data churning for us and they're going to provide the analytics for us, humans have to enhance the part that we play. Humans, the technology is going to do their part. Our part is what will be the recommendations? What new revenue opportunities? What expenses can we minimize? What areas of collaboration? What mergers? What acquisitions? Based on what the data tells you. And if we're not able to do that, we will find ourselves obsolete. So what you know about how schools are educating the finance, accounting, tech, people of the future, do you think that that's a skill that's that's being given enough emphasis today? No, <laughs> no, not from a, a university setting. No, but I will say this. Organizations like FEI, organizations like the American Institute of CPAs and the Association of Certified Professional Accountants are working actively in this space. And, and I say that because FBI has finance executives and leaders. You are your own target audience. So you know what you expect when young people come into your organization. So I would say between you and AICPA, you have the bird's eye view, the captain's seat on what you want young people or professionals to come and how they you want them to present because right. you know what those recommendations are. So universities, because, and I've asked this question too, they have accreditation they have to be concerned about. They are locked into 
how long it takes someone to graduate and have to be able to offer you the ability to graduate with that discipline before it changes. So there are some rules and regulations that are constantly, I think, holding their hands, but they're going to have to catch up very quickly. And I know that in some places, universities are already thinking about this. In other places, they are farther along. But in general, to answer your question, nowhere near as much emphasis is placed on the machines are going to do their part. The people need to do the part we do. And it's not nearly enough that that whole area of making recommendations, presenting to the board of directors, getting out and talking with the CFO, the chief accounting officer and making recommendations on where we should go next and what expenses could be cut. I don't see nearly as much on the practical skill set. That is why I'm really excited to see credentials like the CGMA, which stands for a Chartered Global Management accountant designation, um, which really hones and talks about management accounting skills. And it's the very skills that finance executives are looking for. Practical, as a matter of fact, with most of these credentials that are out there in the marketplace, they may not always have the executives that inform them. But in this particular case, the CGMA had many thousands of executives informing what the syllabus looks like so that they could be sure that we're not building field of dreams and also at the same time that is practical and that our colleagues will have the skills they need to be competitive and our competition won't be the person next to you our competition could be a machine the last thing i want to ask you kimberly is how companies are attracting the best talent so we've talked a lot about kind of from the talent side now how are leaders and companies making sure that they're getting the best talent? First of all, great, great question. But Olivia, first thing they're doing is leveraging social media. Mm. There is a whole discipline around digital marketing that was not there when I graduated from college. And it's a whole new discipline. Like I have no doubt that there are people today who are saying, what are we doing? Everything needs to go on social media because if it's not on social media, it's not happening. And it didn't happen. That's pretty much it. It's like relationships. If your relationship isn't on Facebook, you're not in a relationship. (laughs) It's kind of the same thing about the business environment. And I would say we had 18 months of being at home and we're still, we're coming back, but we're not fully back where we could look to see what is on the various social media channels. And so, first of all, they're letting people know the great stuff they're doing in ESG. They are not just resting on their laurels saying, oh, you'll look me up in one of the leading magazines. Everyone has to have some presence in one of the social media channels, especially because your best and brightest talent, they are fact-checking you, they're interviewing you, and you didn't even have a chance to show up for the interview yet. They're being, you're being interviewed and you didn't even know because they are looking to see what you say, what you do. Do you have core values that you're leading with and how you help advance talent through the organization? Because they want flexibility. Mm-hmm. They want the flexibility to develop and grow and, and see where their careers could take them. 
and they're not going to be as inclined to work the 100 hours a week and wait for you to tell them if you're their boss when they're ready to get promoted. They want to know right up front, what are your intentions? <laughs> because if you're not going to be serious about their career path, then they need to go and find someone else who is. And that definitely, as it relates to the Money and Machines article, I thought it was interesting that they think it's risky for organizations not to take advantage of technology. Right. And I would say it definitely is. And although I'm Gen X, I actually can't blame them for being an advocate for their own careers. And I can't blame them for stepping up and standing up and saying what they want. And it just makes us all better because we cannot rest on the laurels of success we've had previously. We have to earn the business of our team members. We earn the we, we know we need to earn the business of our clients and customers. But you know where else that net promoter score could come into play? With your internal teams. Because sometimes I hear, you know, someone's got an 85 net promoter score. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. But then the next thing I'm thinking, Olivia, is what would it be if it were your internal team? What did it take? How much manual, how many manual operations did you have to perform in order to get that customer to feel like they were in, willing to give you an 85? You could get the work done but you might not get it done well. You could get the work done, but are you getting it done as efficiently as possible? And the finance team, you know, the colleagues that I speak with, many of them feel overwhelmed because they know the responsibility, just like in that article, the study that Oracle did, they know it's pressure, pressure on whether or not the company's gonna even be in business three months from now, six months from now. And I will just say, that's why I am so bullish on technology, because why would you do it manually if you could leverage technology in order to do it? Why would you do it in 50 steps if you could do it in 15? Why would we put people in the middle of processes that slow it down, the transaction, if we could figure out a way to make it smooth? Why would we have only one way of interacting with our clients when through the pandemic, we now are fully aware that there are multiple ways that we can interface and frictionlessly engage with our clients and customers. And so I don't think we can go back. And, and as we said earlier, protect the mental health of the finance team. I mean, it's an incredible burden and I completely understand why that would keep people up at night. So why not eliminate the some of that risk and that mistake prone uh, process? Absolutely. And I am one of the lemonade points about this whole pandemic is the very fact that we are talking about mental health and wellness right now because we pretended that we were robots, all of us probably in the finance and the finance and especially in the technology world, because we went to work, we didn't complain, you barely knew we had children, you didn't know what hobbies we did outside of work. We, we went and kept our heads down, just the work. And now we've invited people into our living rooms I've seen people say, hey, I'm taking a walk, I'm taking this call, and I've seen the scenic journey that they've walked on. Kids in laps, 
dogs barking at the, the mail carrier. And I just hope that there is a fine balance that we won't swing all the way back where we were. There's definitely a hybrid to be had, but I hope that our compassion and our understanding and knowing that some people just, I need, I need Friday off. I'm just under stress. We just closed the books. They, we just presented the earnings. I'm stressed. And now I just need a couple of days off. And I'm hoping that, to be honest about saying that for some of our colleagues, I hope they'll be able to be able to still be honest in a post-pandemic world. I agree with you. I, I hope it's something that does stay, that empathy and that humanization of, of all of us. Yeah, I don't see how we could go back to, to being robots. I think back to you know what I asked you earlier, the, the companies that can continue on treating their employees like people are going to be, are, they're going to continue to attract the best talent. That is 100% true. We work for leaders. We work with machines. And I just hope we continue to do that. I love that. Well, Kimberly, that was my last question. I think that's a great note to end it on. So thank you so much for your time. It was really a pleasure getting to know you. Absolutely. Thank you, Olivia. 